Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. We are now inside of 72 hours until Super Bowl 57. The Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles will certainly spend a lot of time on that ball game tonight. Zig Fricasse, Sirius XM NFL Radio, set to join me at about 9 o'clock this evening to preview Super Bowl 57, as well as take another look back on the Jaguars' 2022 campaign. Also, we got some college ball to talk about. we got some NFL draft to talk about. Two and a half months away from the draft, only a couple of weeks away from Pro Days and the Scouting Combine. Shane Hallam of DraftCountdown.com. For those of you that have listened to me over the years, you know I love DraftCountdown.com. And Shane, boy, he has an interesting job. Every two weeks with his website, he does a seven-round mock draft, even here in the early parts of February. So we'll talk about this 2023 draft class, the positions of strength, the positions of weakness, and we'll look at some of the young Jaguar players, the first and second year guys, how they fared here this past season. So Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com. He is coming up uh, in about 20 minutes or so. And at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour this evening, we will go to Nashville, Tennessee, Tyler Rowland, of the Locked On Titans podcast. It has been 33 days since the Jaguars defeated the Tennessee Titans in the AFC South Championship game. A lot has gone on in Nashville. They fired a lot of their offensive coaching staff, although they promoted a guy from within as their offensive coordinator. They have a brand-new general manager and former Gator running back Rand Carthon, and they got a lot of decisions to make in Tennessee So we'll talk about that game 33 days ago and what that does to the future of the Tennessee Titans. Tyler Rowland, the Locked On Titans podcast, is coming up at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. But as we always do, every night here on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, we got a couple of big deals tonight. One in the National Football League. That in a moment. The other in the NBA. Last night, getting some nourishing rest. Enjoy my nourishing rest in the middle of the night. Had to get up to, uh, you know, use the laboratory. Check my phone at about 1 a.m., and Twitter is just going crazy. Just absolutely going crazy. Kevin Durant traded from the Brooklyn Nets to the Phoenix Suns. Brooklyn gets a lot in return, two pretty good young players, including Mikael Bridges, and of course, not one, not two, not three, but four 
future first-round picks. But this this topic, this conversation is about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, there is no doubt, is one of the best basketball players in the world. He is one of the best to ever play in the National Basketball Association. And he's also now on team number four in a span of about, what, seven or eight years. That's a red flag for me. He could not win the title at Oklahoma City. He could not beat Golden State. So what did he do? You can't beat him, you join him. So he left Oklahoma City, signed with Golden State. From a basketball playing perspective, I had no respect for what Kevin Durant did whatsoever. None. Absolutely none. Yeah, he got his two titles in Golden State, but but whatever. To me, completely and totally irrelevant. Um, used toilet paper means more to me than Durant's two titles in Golden State. He could not beat the Warriors, so he joined the Warriors, and that's ridiculous. Then he decides, after his Achilles injury, that he's going to leave Golden State and go to Brooklyn. Go to Brooklyn. Team up with Kyrie Irving and James Harden. And that became, arguably, the biggest waste of three unbelievable talents on one roster the NBA has maybe ever seen. You know how many games they played together at once? 73, I want to say. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, 73 games. Between the COVID issue, between injuries, between them just not getting along with management, 73 games is what they played together. Brooklyn had to blow it up, and they did. They sent Kyrie Irving to Dallas. They send Kevin Durant to Phoenix. So now Durant on team number four. Like I said, in about the last seven or eight years. Which begs the question, all of this movement by Kevin Durant, does that affect anything regarding his place among the NBA greats? I understand it's a different era, and I'll get to that in a moment. But... Kobe Bryant, lifelong Laker. Dirk Nowitzki, lifelong Dallas Maverick. Michael Jordan, lifelong Bull. And then when he's 37 years old because he's not ready to hang it up, goes and plays two years with the Wizards. But he had played 13 years in Chicago. Same thing with Akeem Olajuwon, a lifelong Rocket, until he's 37 years old and goes to Toronto, Ewing the same thing in New York, was a Nick for 13, 14 years, plays his last couple of years elsewhere. Carl Malone went and chased a ring with the Lakers when he was 35-plus. But all of those guys, all of those Hall of Famers, stayed in one spot for 12, 13-plus years before they branched out because they had to, because the team they were on was in a rebuild, or whatever. David Robinson, lifelong Spur. There's another one. He never played anywhere else. Reggie Miller, lifelong Indiana Pacer. But you say, Hacker, that's a different era. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Is Greek Freak going to leave Milwaukee and be on three different teams in the next five years? I don't think so. Is Jason Tatum going to leave Boston and be on three different teams in the next six years? 
No. Is Luka Doncic going to leave Dallas and be on three different teams in the next six, seven, eight years? No. And that's this era, man. That's today's day and age. LeBron gets a pass for me, even though I hated the decision. And I do mean I hated the decision. And pretty much every moment that he spent in Miami. But when he saw the error of his ways and he went home to Cleveland and they're down 3-1 in the finals to Golden State and he brings them back to win the finals in seven and bring Cleveland their first NBA championship, it's hard not to give him a pass. I don't give Kevin Durant a pass at all. I thought it was horrible what he did joining Golden State. Can't beat him, you're going to join him. I just got very little respect for that on the athletic playing field. Very little respect. And that's all Durant did. He can sugarcoat it any way he wants. That's what he did. And then, after his Achilles injury, he leaves in free agency to a team that gave him a chance in Brooklyn, paid him a lot of money. And what an unbelievable disappointment he and Kyrie Irving, and to a lesser extent James Harden, were there. And now we'll see. He's in Phoenix. Great team, right? Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Kevin Durant. If he wins a title with Phoenix this year or maybe next year, perhaps my opinion on him will change. But I understand where free agency is. I get all that. But you think about the all-time greats in the NBA. And I mean the top 10, 15 guys. Not a lot of those guys played on four different teams in eight years. You could probably name a couple, I guess. I mean, LeBron technically did, although one of them was the same franchise. He went Cleveland, Miami, back to Cleveland to the Lakers. But again, him winning in Cleveland down 3-1 in the finals to Golden State and basically putting that team on his back to get that championship, that means a heck of a lot more to me than anything Durant's ever done. I just don't get the sense that when you think about the Magic Johnsons and the Larry Birds and the Kobe Bryants and the Dirk Nowitzkis and you get Dr. J and all of these, you go on down the line, They're not switching teams every two or three years. And again, I don't buy that it's this generation because the best players in this generation, you'd start with Kobe, go to Dirk. But if you want to get more young, Tatum in Boston, Doncic in Dallas, Greek Freak in Milwaukee, Damian Lillard in Portland. Those guys haven't jumped around every two or three years like Kevin Durant. Big news anytime he switches teams. Big news. And we're going to go to Arizona tomorrow night. Talk to our guy Kevin Zimmerman out there from ArizonaSports.com about Durant, what it means for Phoenix. But, yeah, I do wonder that with Oklahoma City to Golden State to Brooklyn, now to Phoenix, does that affect how Durant is viewed by NBA fans? If you're an NBA fan, hit me up on the text line. Designed by Lifetime Enclosure, 641-1010. Let me know what you think about Durant in general and if Phoenix is now the number one team to beat in the league because 
of the arrival of Kevin Durant. Also tonight, the NFL Honors Award Show. Boy, hard to believe. You want to know how long a year is? It was a year ago during this show that Tony Baselli walked across that stage and was announced for the class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Doesn't that seem like forever ago? And it was in this award show last year. Not a big Jaguar flavor tonight other than the coach of the year. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I would seriously doubt that Doug Peterson's going to win coach of the year. He's on the finalist list with Brian Dable of the Giants, Kyle Shanahan of the 49ers, Nick Sirianni of Philadelphia, Sean McDermott, Buffalo, and then Pete Carroll in Seattle, and Dan Campbell in Detroit. Peterson, one of the seven finalists. He may not win, but you're not going to convince me he's not the coach of the year. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm seeing through teal and black-colored goggles. But of all those guys I just listed, you tell me a guy that inherited a worse situation amidst worse circumstances and turned it around not once but twice. He had to get rid of the rift raft and everything that happened last season. And then when they're 3-7, and seven, he completely turned that around to get to 9-8, and eight, win the AFC South, and win a playoff game. I don't care what Brian Dable did in New York. I know what he did. He finished third in his division. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They beat the Jaguars. They beat him by a yard. One yard. Christian Kirk gets one more yard. The Jaguars win that game, so don't give me that. By the way, Brian Dable... Going to Philadelphia, the number one seed in the NFC, they got boat raced in the divisional round. They did not belong on the field with Philadelphia. Jacksonville, going to the number one seed in the AFC, was absolutely in that game with Kansas City. Absolutely. So don't give me that Brian Dable was a better coach this year than Doug Peterson. Kyle Shanahan, there's certainly more of an argument there. He had to have three, actually four, at one point, four different quarterbacks played for Kyle Shanahan this year. More of an argument, I would still think Doug Peterson, because Shanahan has a great team. Look, when you're coaching George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and Nick Bosa and Fred Warner and all these guys, I mean, that's ridiculous. You're supposed to be good. Nick Sirianni did a great job. He did. He did a great job. But again, what? much like Shanahan, the guy's got a ton of talent on his team. The guy's got future Hall of Famers on his team. An all-pro wide receiver via trade that came in, and A.J. Brown. I'm not talking down on Sirianni. I'm just talking up our guy in Doug Peterson. Sean McDermott? He's got Josh Allen. He's got Stephon Diggs. Sean McDermott might get the sentimental vote for what he had to do with DeMar Hamlin in that situation, which I totally respect and totally tip my cap to him. And then the other guys, Pete Carroll. Actually, Pete Carroll, among all these guys, probably did as good a job as Peterson in the sense that they did not have a lot of talent. People thought Seattle was in a rebuild, and he got them into the playoffs. That's a really good job by Pete Carroll. And I just happen to love Dan Campbell, so I think he did a good job as well. 
but I don't think either one of those guys has a chance of winning this thing. It'll get announced tonight. If we're on the air when it gets announced, we'll let you know. I don't think Peterson's going to win, but I think he should win. No question about that. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. If you want to get in involved on the program tonight, you are more than welcome to do so. The NFL draft, two and a half months away, roughly. We got pro days coming up starting in the next couple of weeks. We have a scouting combine in Indianapolis less than a month from now. By the way, 319 players in the world of college football invited to the scouting combine this year. What does this draft class look like? What are the best positions? What are the weakest positions? We'll talk about all that with Shane Hallam, draftcountdown.com. He's got a brand new seven-round mock draft out. I think you'll be very, very surprised where he has Anthony Richardson going. Very surprised in his latest seven-round mock draft. And we'll take a look back at some of the younger Jaguars, the first and second-year Jaguars this past year. Shane Hallam's the guy that studied these guys for a living. Did they meet or surpass his expectations in 2022? All that coming up next. It's a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 57 coming up on Sunday between Kansas City and Philadelphia. And also, talk a little Jaguars offseason outlook is free agency. Hard to believe. Good heavens. Is less than five weeks away. With that, let me bring in my friend Zig Fricasi, Sirius XM NFL Radio. And he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Zig, it's been a little while, man. How are you? Hacker, doing a lot better, my friend. Thank you. How you doing? Zig, we're good, buddy. We're good. And I want to touch upon the Jaguars. We'll save that to the end with you because we got sure. a ball game to talk about on Sunday. Uh, boy, the number one seed in the NFC, the number one seed in the AFC, and subplots galore from the Kelsey Bowl, Travis versus Jason, to Andy Reid playing his former team. Boy, it's a juicy matchup in Super Bowl 57. Yeah, and you also have the first-ever matchup of two black quarterbacks, too, with Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes. So we've uh, achieved that milestone as well here, Hack. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of intriguing storylines. I think the storyline with the, the point spread, too, is that, you know, it's only a point and a half or two either way, depending on where you go. So, uh, the odds makers in Vegas and everybody thinks that this is going to be a pretty close game, and I think it will be. I think this will probably be one of the better games in quite a while, and as you outlined with the storylines, there's certainly a lot of uh, subplots to it. Zig, when you talk about Andy Reid, 14 years in Philadelphia, now 10 years in Kansas City, about to coach in his fourth Super Bowl, put into perspective what he has meant to the game, and, and if he wins on Sunday – where that'll put him among, quite frankly, the best head coaches of all time? You know, that's a great question, and we debated that on our Sirius XM NFL radio 
uh, post-game show after both conference championships, and I had asked uh, the panel, we had uh, Kirk Morrison and Jim Miller, Shane Vereen, about, you know, Andy now getting to that fourth Super Bowl and where he would, and I think the consensus was, and I think Shane probably said it best, he says, I'd like to see him win another Super Bowl because a lot of guys, Hack, have won one. Now you've got Andy, if he gets this one, it's two. So I think you start to, you know, maybe eliminate a lot of these other great coaches. There's no denying Andy Reid's going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for his accomplishments and all that kind of thing. And the fact that, you know, when he got to Kansas City, it wasn't a great program, but he's molded that in. So I think the answer would be, if he gets another Super Bowl, wins another one here, then I think you could really start talking about him among, you know, some of the greats. Will he ever be Lombardi? Maybe not. Belichick, maybe not. Hallis, Lambeau, Lombardi, those type of guys. But Andy Reid's definitely carved a, a great niche. And now, gosh, hard to believe it's been quarter of a century. And he even go before that hack when he was, you know, an assistant in Green Bay and all that. So Andy's been on the sidelines quite a long time. Uh, his play calling's imaginative. He's got a great rapport with all of his quarterbacks. Guys love playing for him. Uh, I think if Andy Reid gets that second Super Bowl, then we start talking about him at least among the all-time greats. Yeah, and you you won't find anybody to have a negative thing to say about Andy Reid. He is very well liked in NFL circles, no question about that. Zig Fricasi, Sirius XM, NFL Radio here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zig, no question the young quarterbacks are coming in the AFC, but here Patrick Mahomes is, again, kind of the elder statesman, right, at 27 years of age in his third Super Bowl in four years. He beat Herbert in the regular season this year. He beat Josh Allen last year in the playoffs, and in the last couple of weeks he's knocked out Trevor Lawrence and got his revenge on Joe Burrow. So there's competition coming, Zig, but right now – it is still clearly Patrick Mahomes' conference. Yeah, I mean, five straight championship games, you know, now your third Super Bowl appearance, and, you know, what he was able to do basically on one ankle uh, against your Jags was something, and then obviously uh, getting revenge like you talked about against uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And I thought Cincinnati missed a pretty good opportunity. I thought they should have blitzed more because it was clear that Patrick, you know, once – uh, they did send the blitz, and he had to move to his left. That was when he really started to have problems with that ankle, which is why I think this game on Sunday, if I'm Jonathan Gannon, the uh, Eagles defensive coordinator, I'd probably bring the pass rush big time early, see where Patrick is in his recovery and all that kind of thing. But the fact that he was able to persevere like he had, in addition to the otherworldly talents that he has, and the leadership ability, yeah, I mean, Burrow's pretty close. Josh Allen's kind of close and all that. And I think we got a golden era of quarterbacks coming up. But still, number 15 on Kansas City is the guy that we uh, have to look upon maybe as the best going right now, especially since number 12 retired. Zig, when you talk about the Philadelphia Eagles as we shift gears to the NFC, Julian Love last week on the NFL Network, safety for the New York Giants, basically insinuated that Nick Sirianni, the Eagles head coach, is getting a, quote, free ride, saying that a lot of people could coach this team with all the talent that they have. To me, that's sour grapes. I mean, Philadelphia did beat the Giants three times 
this year. What was your thought on that, and what's your thought on Nick Sirianni overall? Well, first, I'm, I'm a little disappointed because I'm, of course, Julian Love, Notre Dame, and that's been my, gosh, my program I've rooted for since the Joe Montana days. So, um, you know, Julian, I don't know if it was just a slow news week, slow news cycle, or what it was. Julian's an intelligent young man, and I think uh, an emerging talent in the National Football League, but you know, maybe he's just looking to get some attention because uh, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I think it takes a temperament to be able to coach a team. You know, with Philadelphia, you still have some established guys from their last Super Bowl, so you have to blend that in with the acquisitions that Howie Roseman's made in the last year, year and a half, and then basically you shifted gears now from Carson Wentz to uh, Jalen Hurts, who some people still have doubts about. But it seems as though we've had the emergence of Hertz and also the emergence of Sirianni, who, if you remember, Hack, I mean, that first press conference, I don't know if a guy could get five words out straight without being nervous. So people already formed an opinion on that. But then you fast forward to now, they all bought in. There's a little bit of an attitude to Sirianni. And I think it's, a, it's not cocky, but it's confident. And I think a self-assuredness. So... I think the Eagles reflect that, and I'm sure, you know, Julian might want to take back those comments, but they're out there now, so it is what it is. I think in his second year to get to a Super Bowl says a lot about Nick Sirianni because he's probably, he's not even that much older than a lot of his guys. So I, I think there's that kind of familiarity where you've got to, if you have an older coach, you know, maybe he's tuned into his own ways and doesn't blend in with his players, that's where I think problems come in. Whereas Nick Sirianni, a younger guy, like I said, probably not all that much older than some of his older players, I think he's blended in well. And again, the, the moves Howie Roseman's made and the talent they already had there, Philadelphia is deserving to be in the Super Bowl because they were the best team in the NFC all year long. Zig, you go back to Labor Day, and there was legitimate talk in Philadelphia, is Jalen Hurts the guy? And now right. fast forward to where we are, and he was nothing short of spectacular this year. In your opinion, what happened there? Why has Jalen Hurts all of a sudden become a top five quarterback in the league? Well, a couple of years. I mean, let's not forget, you know, he started the year before they actually did get to the playoffs. You know, they were a playoff team, but, you know, they were uh, trampled by Tampa Bay. So they had some work to do. So I think one uh, another year in the system helped. And then you get more confident as you go along. Then over the summer, of course, you know, at the draft, uh, not quite summer, but uh, before the summer, you know, the blockbuster trade to get A.J. or not A.J. Green, uh, A.J. Brown in from the Tennessee Titans. You know, that's another of those aggressive uh, strokes Howie Roseman's make because they realize they need to have uh, a, a wide receiver you know, to stretch the field and to complement the ground game, to complement Goddard as a tight end. So I think those factors definitely blended in. And, you know, he emerged, I think, as a better passer this year, too. So I think it's just maturity, another year in the system, the Brown acquisition, and the component parts they already had to a very good offensive line, too. That's why he's had the success that he's had. Final moment, Zig Fricasi, Sirius XM. NFL radio zig the analytics about this matchup I saw one website that is fairly well known I'll just leave it at that that had this as a 50-50 dead heat 
You got the number one yeah. seed in the NFC, the number one seed in the AFC, identical, what, 16 and three records after 19 games. I'll tell you, man, on paper, this looks like a true toss-up, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. Which way are you leaning right now? You know, again, because I've been a Cowboys fan since the Staubach days, it's hard for me to pull again, or pull for Philadelphia. I've been saying this all week long, Heck. My heart says Kansas City, but the head says Philadelphia. And I, I just think in the end, it's probably going to come down to maybe one or two turnovers. Like I said, I think if Gannon brings the early pressure and if Mahomes is compromised in any way, uh, we'll see where this goes. But I don't think Hertz is going to be phased, you know, by the uh, pressure in the Super Bowl. He's played in championship games, so he knows what the big stage is like. Uh, if somebody said Zig uh, in three, two, one, make a pick, I would probably shade towards uh, the Philadelphia Eagles to get another World's uh, Championship. Their second one would be what I think it's six, five or six years. So I'd probably go towards the Eagles. If we rewind the clock back to the beginning of August. I'm in the press box there in Canton, Ohio, and I'm sitting next to Zig Fercasi as Tony Baselli is going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Zig, if I would have told you six months ago that the Jacksonville Jaguars would win the AFC South, beat Justin Herbert in the playoffs, and push Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City to within three minutes in the fourth quarter of a playoff game as well, what would you have said to me six months ago? I'd have probably said you're taking too many whiffs of big Sears' cigars. <laughs> uh, gosh, it was great. By the way, I've said this before, it was great meeting all of you guys, and uh, I had a great visit with Big Sears and everything like that, So, and Frank Frangie and all them. I would have said that was quite ambitious, but we also didn't realize, too, that Houston was going to continue to be bad. Although competitive, they're still bad. Uh, then we didn't realize about Indianapolis, obviously, uh, still having major issues with the quarterback and then ultimately cost uh, Frank Reich his job. And then we also didn't know about Tennessee, who I think everybody thought was the favorite. You know, they started out strong enough, but then all the injuries, Tannehill getting hurt and, you know, Derrick Henry not being as effective. I would have said, and I said this, I think Jacksonville would have probably been good excuse me, for five, maybe six wins. And if you're competitive in, you know, of your 11 losses, if you're competitive in seven or eight of them, then I would have called that season progress. And they would, what they were three and seven, I think it was at one point. But it appeared as though Trevor Lawrence started to look like the Clemson Trevor Lawrence. And that's a good thing. You know, that comeback against Dallas, the other comeback that they had, that showed right there that this young man's coming of age. And then as you talked about, make that epic comeback against the Chargers in the playoffs. That, that showed me a lot. And then they did push Kansas City. You know, they, they had the chance, what, about five and a half minutes to go. There was a key uh, miscue there. And then, you know, the other fellow from Kansas City had that one, one-handed interception. So they, they definitely scared the Chiefs. So now I think the bar has been raised couple of tweaks here and there. Again, another year in uh, Peterson's system for Lawrence and um, a little better health and everything like that. There's no reason Jacksonville now shouldn't at least enter the 2023 season as a favorite in the AFC South and maybe, just maybe, 
get towards that AFC championship game. Yeah, I'll tell you, Zig, you can imagine the excitement in this city. People are counting down the days till That's free nice. agency and till the offseason program begins. There is a ton of excitement about this football team here in Duval County. Zig Fricasi, Sirius XM, NFL Radio. Zig, I'm going to have you back on, hopefully about the time free agency starts, and you and I at that point might have to talk a little hockey as well with the Boston Bruins and the Tampa Bay Lightning. It'll be hockey time at that point, and I look forward to that conversation, my friend. Thank you very much. Anytime, Heck. Thanks for having me on. Always enjoy talking with Zig Fricasi, Sirius XM, NFL Radio. And, yeah, I was thinking about that as I was talking with Zig earlier. How long this season has been. I mean, you rewind the clock back to Canton, Ohio on Thursday night. What was that? August the 2nd, the Hall of Fame game. And then I think it was, what, Saturday, August 4th? I think I got those right. It was August 4th, August 5th, somewhere around there when Baselli went in to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And now here we are six-plus months later, and finally the Super Bowl takes place on Sunday with Kansas City and Philadelphia. Certainly a ton has transpired, and it's, uh, look, you got to give the NFL credit, man. They are marketing geniuses. They are smart. The Super Bowl is on Sunday. On Monday, February 13th, free agency will begin in one month. You have one month from the Super Bowl till the start of the new league calendar year on Monday, March the 13th. More to do in the National Football League. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com. He is coming up in about 20 minutes or so at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. We'll go to Nashville, Tyler Rowland of the Locked on Titans podcast. What an interesting start to the offseason. It's been for Tennessee. Bunch of offensive coaches replaced, a brand-new offensive coordinator, a brand-new general manager who happens to be a former Florida Gator. We'll talk about all that with Tyler Rowland of the Locked on Titans podcast. He's coming up at about 9.30 tonight. Coming up next into the world of college football, a new extension for a contract for Mike Norvell in Tallahassee. And Texas and Oklahoma are coming to the Southeastern Conference sooner than we all thought. That's next, a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. Thursday evening in Jacksonville, Florida. We're glad you're with us. More on the National Football League. More on Super Bowl 57 coming up in just a little bit. There is some college football news. Something that happened yesterday that we did not have time to get into last night. And something that happened uh, within the last uh, hour to 90 minutes. That is very interesting. We'll start with the more local story, I suppose, although they're both pretty local. Florida State yesterday gives head coach Mike Norvell a contract extension. He is now signed through the 2029 college football season. You know, we talk about turnarounds and how big the turnaround was here in Jacksonville with head coach Doug Peterson. Couldn't you argue 
that the turnaround was as great, maybe even a little greater with Mike Norvell and Tallahassee. Think about where the Florida State fan base was with Mike Norvell going back to the 20th day of August in 2022, not even six months ago. No question there were rumblings. No question there was hot seat talk. No question coming off back-to-back losing seasons that Florida State fans were not all that thrilled with Mike Norvell and that if 2022 would not have gone well, there would have probably been, I won't say a firing, but there would have been calling for a firing from the Seminole faithful. Fast forward to where we are now. Mike Norvell, a 10-win season in which he just beat the crap out of Miami and scored 45 on Florida to beat them. He runs the state. By the way, they put 90 points combined on the Hurricanes and the Gators. Florida couldn't stop them. Miami not only couldn't stop them, but they couldn't score the ball either. Also, a dominating win, dominating win after dominating win in November, a bowl win over Oklahoma. The transfer portal, again, been unbelievably good to Florida State over the last six weeks. And Jared Verse, Johnny Wilson, Jordan Travis, among others, all announcing they're coming back to Florida State for the 2023 season. So in six months, Florida State has gone from a team that missed bowl games in back-to-back years and from a fan base that was about done with Mike Norvell to now Mike Norvell getting a contract extension through 2029 and Florida State being one of those trendy picks to be in the college football playoff at the end of the year. A lot has changed in Tallahassee, Florida in six months. So congratulations to Mike Norvell, his staff, and everybody over there associated with Florida State on a job well done and job security now for quite a while there in Seminole country. Now the news that happened within the last 90 minutes. We all knew Texas and Oklahoma were on their way to the Southeastern Conference. The question was when would they be coming to the Southeastern Conference? Well, conventional thinking was it was going to be the 2025 season. That's what everybody was saying, 2025. Well, $100 million can change a lot of things. And reportedly tonight, a $100 million buyout has allowed Texas and Oklahoma to now join the SEC a year early. It will be the Longhorns and the Sooners the summer of 2024 in the Southeastern Conference. And that will be an absolutely incredible thing for the 2024 college football season. Think about this in 2024. Denmark and I were just talking about it during the break. Now in 2024, Texas and Oklahoma are in the SEC. Now in 2024, USC and UCLA are in the Big Ten. And now in 2024, the first year 
of the 12-team college football playoff. It doesn't get a whole lot bigger than that. And how will Texas and Oklahoma shift the dynamic of the Southeastern Conference? Will we go away from divisions? Will we go away from classic rivalries? All the talk has been there. Well, now you got to figure it out. Now you got nine months to figure it out. Because remember, historically, the schedule for the SEC comes out in October or November of the year prior. So the 2024 SEC football schedule will be announced in October or November of 2023. So is it as simple as you move Alabama and Auburn to the east, you put Texas and Oklahoma in the west? That would give you eight teams in each division. You play seven division games. And do you play one crossover or two crossovers? That would be, well, you'd have to play eight or even nine conference games. Do they go to the pods that have been talked about? With 16 teams, you got four four-team pods. Or do you do what the ACC does? And I happen to really like what the ACC is going to begin doing this year. It's the first year of it. We'll see how it goes. But remember, the ACC is no longer the Atlantic or the Coastal. Which, by the way, the ACC Atlantic and the ACC Coastal just didn't have the uh, oomph that the SEC East or West had. You could be the biggest ACC fan out there, quickly. Who was in the ACC Coastal? It's going to take you a while to think about it. It took me years to figure it out. You just didn't really ever know, right? I knew Florida State and Clemson were in the Atlantic, but the fact that I had to know that Duke and Pitt and Georgia Tech we're in the coastal. I just didn't worry about that. But what the ACC is doing now is they got rid of divisions. They say, yep, no, no more divisions. You're going to have three opponents every year, which is your main rivals, like Florida State and Miami will play every year. Florida State will play two other teams. I think Clemson's one of them every year. But then you rotate the other five games so that you play every team – in your conference, I believe it's twice in a four-year stretch, and you visit every opposing stadium in your conference, which I love. I mean, we've had conversations about this for years in the SEC. Why has Florida been to Texas A&M three times and Georgia has never been there? There's not a good answer. I, I don't care what your your logic is. I don't care what your answer is. It's not, there's not a good one. Florida has had to go to College Station not once, not twice, but three times since A&M joined the, the conference. Georgia has never had to go out there. There is no explanation for that. There is no rhyme or reason for that. That's garbage. And that's what the SEC needs to fix. The fact that Alabama hadn't been to the swamp in 10 years prior to when they came two years ago, that's garbage. There are flaws in the SEC conference schedule that with the arrival of Texas and Oklahoma now in the 2024 college football season can begin to be cleaned up a little bit. And they need to be cleaned up because it's been broken for quite some time. Look, Florida, because... I'm speaking to a primarily Florida audience here. 
odds are you're going to lose the traditional matchups with Kentucky and South Carolina and Missouri, but I'm okay with that. Wouldn't you like to see Florida play the Mississippi States, the Ole Miss, the Arkansas, the A&Ms more so than they do? I mean, playing Vanderbilt every year, playing Missouri every year, playing Kentucky and South Carolina every year, it's gotten tiresome after a while. And now, thankfully, with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma, times may be changing in the SEC. Again, that is the big news of the night. Instead of 2025, now the Sooners and the Longhorns arriving in the Southeastern Conference in 2024. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. As always, Jacksonville, we are also streaming for your viewing pleasure. On Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter. You can watch the show there until 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise, on YouTube. Just go to 1010XL on YouTube. You will see the show there until 10 o'clock tonight. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Coming up next, let's talk a little draft. Shane Hallam, draftcountdown.com. Let's look at the 2023 draft class. Let's look back at some of the younger Jaguars from 2022 and how they fared in their rookie campaigns. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, next on Hacker After Dark. Now. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Super Bowl comes up this Sunday, the Chiefs and the Eagles, and then all eyes will point to free agency and the NFL draft. We're late to the party here in Jacksonville. Normally, we've been talking drafts since Halloween, not this year. It's already almost the middle of February. We got a little catching up to do. And with that, let's go to my man Shane Hallam, draftcountdown.com. You guys that have listened to me over the years, you know I'm a big fan of what they do at draftcountdown.com. Shane, thank you for the time, man. How are you? I'm doing great. It's officially draft season, so I'm all, I'm, I'm in gear. Shane, normally here in Jacksonville, we would have had you on like three or four times by now. It's a, it's amazing what happens when a team uh, doesn't lose 14 games and actually makes a little bit of a run. What was your take on the young Jaguars really coming of age over the last two months? I, I thought last year was a, a top-notch draft as a whole. I, I mean, you ha- having the number one overall pick always helps, but Tr- Trayvon Walker, I know there's some questions about it, probably not who I would have taken. I really like his fit in the Jaguars defense. And I think you saw the impact that having a big athletic pass rusher can make, even if he doesn't get the sack, he's changing the plays of the offense. So I really liked what he did. I really liked uh, Devin Lloyd is one of my favorites. Uh, I thought that was an excellent pick by the Jaguars. And you could kind of see late in the year, him blossoming into that, you know, stud Fred Warner type inside linebacker that can kind of do everything. That's why they drafted him where they did. So I, I, I thought as a whole, the draft from last year, was, it was kind of a slam dunk, and you can start to see the reverberations really late in the season as these players mature. Yeah, a guy even like Luke Fortner, 19 starts his rookie year at center. Chad Muma played pretty well uh, when he got in there with Devin Lloyd. So the draft class looks like it's going to be pretty good. Shane, obviously, Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne 
um, you know, the one year after Urban Meyer, it was really ETN's rookie year. He didn't play because of injury in 2021. Uh, my gracious, it it looks like these guys are going to be very good in the NFL for quite some time. What was your opinion on Lawrence and ETN this year? I've been doing this since 2004. Trevor Lawrence is my highest rated quarterback prospect ever. So I, I was really looking forward to him this year in, in an offense with a coach that would know how to use him. And I mean, I, I thought he, his development from what we saw as a rookie to, to what we saw in, in that first playoff game against the Chargers was phenomenal. It, you know, it's, he still has some ways to go. And I think that's positive for Jaguars fans. He's not like at his ceiling. So I think, I think that's great. And just ETN as a, as a pure weapon, he's not just a running back. He's a receiver. He's someone that, that they were starting to use a little more creatively. Uh, I think that type of weapon in today's NFL is undervalued by a lot of people on the outside looking in. So this seems like a cornerstone for that offense uh, moving forward. I'm excited to see them paired with Calvin Ridley next year and see what this offense could do. Yeah, you read my mind there. You've been doing this for a while, so you obviously – Spent a lot of time on Calvin Ridley a few years ago. Now, he hasn't played, Shane, since October of 2021, so no one really knows what he's going to look like when he gets reinstated, uh, hopefully here in the next couple of months. Hopefully he'll be good to go for the offseason workout program beginning April 17th. But let's assume that Calvin Ridley is, you know, 80, 85% of what he was when he left in October of 2021. What could that add to this Jaguar offense? I think you actually get a number one receiver that can match up with those number one corners. I thought the group this year did well, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Marvin Jones at times, but there never was that guy that could take over a game. You really needed him to come in clutch. We saw Calvin Ridley do that with the Atlanta Falcons, be able to take top corners, match up with them one-on-one, get good positioning. Ridley was such a smart football player and a physical football player that, that he can almost do anything. I'll be interested to see if he can shake that rust off, how quickly that happens. It might take a little while, but uh, I, I do think it's a big upgrade. Like you said, if you get to 80% of what he was, you still have a number one receiver that um, can get some of those big yards when you're down. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Shane, I saw your most recent mock draft, a seven-rounder. My goodness, in the month of February, you're going to some serious work there for a seven-rounder in February. And I saw you go tight end for the Jaguars at number 24, I believe Dalton Kincaid out of Utah in your most recent mock. Uh, Is that of the thinking that you believe Evan Ingram will not return to Jacksonville? It is. And like, I don't know. I'm a draft guy. I'm not a free agency guy. So these seven round mock drafts are going to change wildly. I I understand that. But uh, what I try to do is kind of match up teams to fit. And if the Jaguars can't bring back Evan Ingram, he's commanding too much money. That position was so vital to this offense. Dalton Kincaid from Utah to me can plug and play perfectly in there. A great kind of kind of zone coverage, tight end, tough. He's athletic. And he finds the hole, and he can make some of those high high catches. You can use them in a variety of ways. So I think if you're Doug Peterson, hey, we can't get back Evan Ingram. Such an important position in this offense. Uh, this is a great tight end class. It could really work out well for the Jaguars. Shane, understanding that free agency is yet to happen, so certainly this could change when we give some answers to some of those questions. But as we sit here today in early to mid February, what do you see maybe as the two or three most pressing needs on this Jaguar roster? 
I think the Jaguars are a tough team for me to kind of mock for because I don't I don't think they have these like huge glaring holes that you look at and you say oh you know they they got to fill that or they got to hit that I, I mean I, to me I think offensive weapons in general if Ingram goes um, obviously that tight end is a big position of need but I think even receiver is a position of need yeah you're bringing in Calvin Ridley you have Christian Kirk I still would love another you know number two. Uh, as Zay Jones keeps going, you can have a player that can come in there and continue to give Trevor Lawrence some weapons. I look on the defensive side of the ball. I think another corner, a cornerback could be helpful. I think Tyson Campbell's playing extremely well, but uh, I would love to have a really great number two to pair with him, kind of bump, you know, Shaq Griffin, Darius Williams, and those players down a peg. And then you have a really strong secondary uh, coming into play. Um, and, and I think they could use a little more offensive line help, just some depth in case you have an injury, maybe some competition and the inside of that line. Um, those are probably the big three for me when I'm looking and ultimately, you know, finding a right tackle with, uh, if Jawan Taylor doesn't come back. Yeah. I, uh, I agree with you about Tyson Campbell. I think he and Andre Cisco, two young guys in the Jaguar secondary that really started playing well towards the end of the year. Shane, you mentioned right tackle final Jaguar related question until we get to a broad look at the draft. If Jawan Taylor leaves cam Robinson comes back to the left side, would it be as simple as to move Walker Little to right tackle, or would it be more complicated than that? I think it gets a little more complicated. I, I think you got to try it to, and see, but Walker Little uh, is someone that has played right tackle in the college level but really was a lot more comfortable on the left side. So sometimes when you flip those guys, it's not as easy as just, well, he, here's here's a good tackle. We can put him wherever. Um, so, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see the Jaguars address the offensive tackle position, even if they plan on moving Walker a little over there to create some competition and just make sure you have that starting spot locked down. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com. All right, Shane, let's look outside the Jaguars. Let's stay in the state of Florida. Looking at your latest seven-round mock, and again, these things will change like the wind. I'm sure you're going to do one you know, once a week or once every two weeks till the draft, but I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling and I go outside of round one to find Anthony Richardson, uh, the quarterback for Florida. I believe you had him early in the second round, number 36, I want to say. What is your thought on Richardson right now? I, I'm kind of against consensus on Anthony Richardson, and it's not that he can't become a great NFL quarterback. Obviously, going in the early second round, the top 50, you can. The, the size, the athleticism, the arm, we all know what he can do, what he can do really well. Uh, but I think teams are getting a lot more smart, a lot more savvy. I think they're looking a lot at the analytics of the quarterback position, and Anthony Richardson's just passing profile is is, is one of the poorest that I've seen from a potential first-round quarterback, only a one-year starter. You know, the the, the accuracy completion percentage is uh, – I, I can't even find a comparison for that. Uh, and the footwork is all over the place. I just think there's so much to work on. Last year we saw people hyping up Malik Willis and hyping up, you know, Desmond Ritter, and these guys are going to be first-round picks, and we got to the draft, and they all fell multiple rounds. I think Anthony Richardson could be that guy that we see in the mocks for weeks and weeks and months and months, and then draft day comes, and whoops, he's not in the first round. Teams don't want to spend that just for a chance at something. They want someone a little more safe. Boy, that'd be very, very interesting. I can't say I completely disagree with you. I, you know, I like Anthony. I think he's going to be a good pro, but 
a top five, top ten pick. I, I might pump the brakes a little bit on that myself. Overall, the quarterback position, Shane, are you a Bryce Young guy? Are you a C.J. Stroud? Are you a Will Levis guy? How do you stack up the top quarterbacks this year? I'm a C.J. Stroud guy. I think first and foremost, uh, maybe I'm a little old school, but but I, I, I like to have that quarterback that can put the ball in every spot on the field and has a good arm and is more of a, a passing quarterback first. Um, I think Bryce Young is right there, though. I think that versatility, the athleticism, the accuracy, the, the coolness under pressure, I like those two guys. If I could have either one of those and take them at the top of the draft at quarterback, I'm taking them. I'm running it to the bank. Will Levis is a little more complex for me because this year he was hurt. And and it, without the offensive line, without all the weapons, uh, things kind of broke down for him. So I have a little more fear, a little more hesitation. Uh, but give me Stroud or Young. A couple of more for Shane Allum, DraftCountdown.com. Shane, the draft as a whole, positions of strength, positions of weakness how would you assess this year's class i think this draft has some really strong positions specifically at the running back position uh we have Bijan robinson the stud from texas but you also have a lot of day two running backs i think teams that need a starter a lot of free agency shifting around i think i see a lot of teams that don't need a starter take a running back and want to add someone to the platoon uh, i think we could see upwards of 10 go by the end of round three, which is pretty unheard of in today's NFL. Then the, the corner position, cornerback, uh, is really strong. Uh, we might be talking about five or six first-round picks at corner. A lot of guys that are big, long, physical. You also have a couple slot corners, and you have some playmaking guys. It's kind of a uh, take-your-pick buffet of cornerbacks, whichever type you want. You can get it, and then, then the edge class is really good as well. The pass rushers, I think we're going to see five or six of those in the first round too. Is there a position that you would say is lacking a little bit this year? I, I think safety. and I, I, Maybe that's just that was happening every year. It's just not as valued by the NFL. But I think maybe maybe we have one safety in the first round and Brian Branch from Alabama, but he could even be a, a nickel corner. Um, and, and honestly, I have trouble fitting safeties into round two and round three. Uh, there's just not dynamic guys. There's some good in-the-box safeties, some bigger players. Um, but there's not a great you know coverage safety. It can do everything. Those are what teams want. I think that's probably a position that, that's a little bit weak. Um, and – yeah, you know, I think linebacker has some good players kind of up top in the top 50, the top five or so, and then I think it falls off pretty quick. Hey, Shane, final question, then I want to talk about your website. Uh, the Senior Bowl is in the books. Who helped themselves the most last week in Mobile? Man, it, it was a good week for a lot of players. One of my favorites was uh, defensive tackle Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin. Uh, came in 312 pounds, dominated in practice. Just great leverage, great penetration ability. Not a player that I was, you know, thinking, oh, he's going to come into the Senior Bowl and and really wreck people, but he really did. Uh, on the offensive line, John Michael Schmitz, the center out of Minnesota, was absolutely stonewalling people in practice and the game. He, he kind of dominated everything. May have played himself into the first round. Uh, and then probably the, the, the buzziest guy, the guy that got the biggest bump, was Tajay Spears running back out of Tulane, 5'9", 204. Looked like Darren Sproles out there catching passes, shifty. Uh, he, I think he's put himself into the round three conversation. I saw a lot of positive things about Osiris Torrance as well. Would you, uh, would you agree with that? 
I, I no, I definitely agree with that. Um, he's yeah, he was already kind of on that first round fringe mix, and just uh, the, the entire week, rock solid. You know, when you get an offensive lineman that's as big as he is, three hundred thirty-seven pounds, and and he's beating some of these kind of more athletic pass rusher guys. That that's when okay, this is a legitimate. NFL uh, offensive guards. So I think Osiris Torrance, I don't think I had him in the first round of this mock. I probably will next time. He's definitely on that first round fringe. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com. Shane, it is certainly your time of year. Tell the good folks here in Jacksonville what they can expect when they head over to DraftCountdown.com. If you head on over, we got a mock draft every week. I do a seven-rounder almost every two weeks, if that's what you're into. Full rankings, every position, uh, big boards. You know, we, we do we do articles. We have the Senior Bowl coverage and weigh-in. We do a weekly podcast, the Draft Countdown. So if you want your draft goodness every week, you can listen to that too. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, as draft season officially underway here in the city of Jacksonville. Shane, thank you for the time. Let's do this again maybe in a month or so. We'll talk again soon, bud. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Well, the NFL Honors Award show has already begun. A couple of awards given out. Offensive Player of the Year, Justin Jefferson. He was uh, a finalist along with Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, and it goes to Justin Jefferson, who probably is the best wide receiver in the National Football League. I don't think you would find that an outrageous statement. I think if you were to say who's the best receiver in football right now, it's hard to say it's not Justin Jefferson. The Defensive Player of the Year tonight, that award was just given out. Nick Bosa of the San Francisco 49ers beating out Kansas City's Chris Jones and the Dallas Cowboys' Micah Parsons. Coach of the year yet to be given out. That is the one finalist the Jaguars have. Doug Peterson among six, or I believe seven, coaches that are up for that award, the NFL Coach of the Year. Interesting news out of New Orleans, reportedly for the second straight day, Derek Carr. In New Orleans, talking with the Saints, Derek Carr expected to be released or traded, more likely to be released from Las Vegas. And it looks like, I mean, you spend two days in one location building a chemistry, building a plan. Saints probably the betting favorite to land Derek Carr. I've always liked Derek Carr. I mean, heck, the guy was a Pro Bowl quarterback this year. Is he going to ever be confused for a top five or maybe a top ten quarterback? I don't know. I think at one time in his career, you could probably argue that Derek Carr was a top ten quarterback. Not so much anymore, but he's still better than half the starting quarterbacks in football. You could do a lot worse than Derek Carr. And that would certainly be an upgrade for New Orleans over what they had this past season. We'll see if that comes to fruition. Derek Carr and the New Orleans Saints. Free agency, 32 days away. That's 22 Hacker After Dark programs. We're giving you four a night of the Pro Football Focus Top 100 free agents. Tonight, numbers 88 through 85. 
Not a whole lot stands out. Number 88, Denzel Perryman, linebacker of the Raiders, projected to get a two-year, $8 million deal. Denzel Perryman, the guy that was on tape on NFL Films talking a little bit of smack to Trevor Lawrence before the Jaguars came back and won that game against Las Vegas earlier this year. Matt Iadonis of Washington, I said this, or I'm sorry, of Carolina, I said this last night, not so much the name, don't worry about the name, but that's the position, right? Interior, defensive line, particularly if they part ways with Roy Robertson Harris, which I'm not as certain about as maybe I was a couple of weeks ago. I think the Jaguars are going to try to find an avenue to keep Roy Robertson Harris and Sean Jenkins here. They could save, I believe, $13 million if they cut both of them. But I think you try to find a way to keep both guys. But you still might need to replenish the interior of that defensive line with a body or two. That is one of the positions I think the Jaguars may look to target in free agency. Number 85, Rasheem Green, a edge rusher from Houston. Jaguars should be fine on the edge. I wouldn't mind drafting somebody. But look, when you have first-round investments in Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker, you shouldn't be looking for edge guys in free agency. Last year, Arden Key, but that's the kind of guy they're going to bring in, right? A one-year guy, unless they do re-sign Arden Key. Again, he's one of the three big ones. Arden Key, Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor. What happens with those three guys? They are set to hit the free agent market Monday, March the 13th, Again, that is 32 days from right now. And, of course, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 57, some prop bets are out. I love this one. This one's great. It's the brotherly love line. Travis Kelsey receiving yards versus Jason Kelsey snaps played. And you're getting six and a half if you go with Jason Kelsey. So that means Travis, if Jason Kelsey plays 60 offensive snaps, Travis Kelsey has to have at least 67 receiving yards for you to win. That's a good one. That's a tough one, too. Kenneth Gainwell of Philadelphia, over under 20 rushing yards. Harrison Butker, Kansas City, over under a field goal and a half. Will Travis Kelsey score a touchdown? Jalen Hurts passing touchdowns over under of a touchdown and a half. Denmark, that seems like a no-brainer to me. You give me Jalen Hurts passing touchdowns one and a half, I would take the over on that pretty easily, wouldn't you? Uh, Maybe. Just because they get close yardage, they like to run the ball, even with Hurts. Yeah, they do like to run the ball. That's fair. Will Hassan Reddick record a sack? Will Chris Jones record a sack? Will Patrick Mahomes be the Super Bowl MVP? Will eight? This is how technical they get. Will AJ Brown's first catch on Sunday be over or under nine and a half yards? That's tough. You can go to CBSSports.com. Fifty-seven bets that you can place on Super Bowl Fifty-seven. We will do more of that tomorrow night here on Hacker After Dark. One quick shout-out, non-football related. How about my Orlando Magic? They won 22 games all of last year.
Tonight, they beat the Denver Nuggets to record win 23, and there's 26 games to go in the regular season. That's progress, man. I'm a happy man. They're 23 and 33, but I'm living it up. The Magic surpassing their win total from all of last year here on February the 9th. Coming up next, let's go to Nashville, Tennessee. Tyler Rowland, the Locked on Titans podcast. It's been 33 days since the Titans lost the AFC South championship game. They got a new offensive coordinator. They got a new general manager. What do they think of what the Jaguars did in the postseason during that run? Let's talk to the enemy. Tyler Rowland, the Locked on Titans podcast, talking Titans football and their offseason outlook. Next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Super Bowl coming up on Sunday, Kansas City and Philadelphia, a couple of teams that would like to be in the Super Bowl reside in the AFC South, of course, right here in Jacksonville. And our brethren up north there in Nashville with the Tennessee Titans, they've had an interesting first month of their offseason, a brand-new general manager. They've promoted an offensive coordinator. Let's go to Nashville, Tennessee. Let's talk with Tyler Rowland, the Locked on Titans podcast. Tyler, appreciate the time here on 1010XL, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on. It was obviously uh, an interesting season for the Titans and the Jaguars, and it's been uh, an interesting offseason for the Titans so far as they've made quite a few changes and expect some more changes to come to the roster as well. Tyler, take us back 32 days ago, the AFC South championship game. Of course, Jacksonville won in dramatic fashion. It was great down here. Obviously, it wasn't so great up there. But but the overall rivalry, the fact the Jaguars and the Titans meant something again, and truthfully, Jacksonville hadn't held their end of the bargain for quite some time. It was nice to have those games mean something again, was it not? Well, I mean, nice for Jacksonville that they won. No, all jokes aside, yeah, it, it's always nice when the games mean more. At the end of the day, it's it's division rivalry. You want those games to matter. And at the end of the day, whether it be the Titans not performing well enough for them to matter or Jacksonville not performing well enough for them to matter, if those division rivalry games don't hold weight, it makes the season less enjoyable for the fans and the trash talk and the camaraderie and all of that. So I, I think it's only uh, more entertaining and more enjoyable for both fan bases if both teams are good and giving us competitive games. So uh, obviously, congratulations to Jacksonville making that playoff appearance. They got a good core there. But personally, for me, I don't want to say happy is the word, but I thought that the best thing for the Tennessee Titans' future was if they did lose that game to Jacksonville to set them up with a better draft pick, cause some dominoes to fall that would create some change within the Titans coaching staff and organization. Obviously, that has happened. So uh, I know that maybe some Titans fans didn't want to hear that from me at the time, but I think what happened in that game was best for both teams. Jacksonville took that step forward with a young core and a new coach, and the Titans put themselves in a better position to correct some of the issues that caused that downfall at the end of the season. Let's begin with the offseason for the Titans. It includes a brand-new general manager, a guy we know in these parts, Rand Carthon, a former 
Florida Gator. I guess mm-hmm. my initial thought, Tyler, when I see that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Rand Carthon and Mike Vrabel have never worked together. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. What has the dynamic been the first couple of weeks with Carthon as the GM and Vrabel as the head coach? Well, you're correct. They have not worked together previously, but I think the dynamic is perfect because uh, Rand Carthon and Mike Vrabel, while having different outcomes in their NFL careers, have experienced uh, a similar path. So Rand Carthon, of course, as you said, a former Florida Gator, uh, played there for college ball, came into the NFL, had a cup of coffee in the NFL playing with Peyton Manning and the Colts and some other teams. But Rand has said publicly he knew pretty pretty quickly that he probably wasn't going to have a very long career in the NFL. And one of the funny parts of uh, learning about Rand Carthon is he actually took some workouts with NFL teams uh, knowing that he wouldn't get a roster spot, but looking to network and create relationships with executives so that he could ultimately get into the executive side, which is what he did following Les Snead from Atlanta to L.A. and then going to San Francisco. I think that Rand Carthon and Mike Rabel both have an experience as players is going to be very important for their dynamic and their relationship. And one thing that really makes Mike Vrabel a great coach is he's experienced every kind of role in the NFL. He's been uh, a decently high draft pick. He's been a star player like he was in New England. He's been a a star vet in Kansas City, a a relatively unknown player in Pittsburgh. Mike Vrabel has done a lot of different things and been in a lot of different places throughout his NFL playing career. And then obviously now he's into coaching and worked his way up there. Rand Carthon similarly has done pro and college scouting, been a, a, a director of player personnel, now finally gets to jump up and be the GM. He's almost experienced every aspect that you can uh, of the ladder climbing up to general manager. So with both of those men having experienced almost every possible role in their field, I think it gives them the ability to relate to guys. And obviously there's a depth of knowledge that you acquire by going through different times. Neither of them were immediately a star in their role, uh, whether it be the executive side or the player side, it took them kind of building up to become what they eventually became. So I think that sort of understanding there will be a mutual respect there. And I think one thing to take into account is Rand Carthon was hired basically with Mike Vrabel as part of the process. So Vrabel wanted to pick somebody who would do what he needed. Vrabel to go to Bill Parcells. Parcells said, you want me to cook the meal, but you don't want me to pick the ingredients. Well, Mike Vrabel isn't going to be picking his ingredients, but he's going to create the shopping list and give it to Rand Carthon. So I think they have a a good dynamic there, and their backgrounds will allow them to, to have a fruitful partnership. At least that's the hope. In Tennessee. Tyler Rowland, the Locked On Titans podcast, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, Tyler, the folks I talked to up in Nashville about a month ago, they were just disgusted with the offense. So you can <laughs> yeah. imagine my surprise a couple of days ago when the Titans promote Tim Kelly, who was a part of that offensive staff, to offensive coordinator. Uh, mm-hmm. What went into that line of thinking and how has that been received? Well, I think uh, the reception of it has been mixed in Tennessee. There are some people who, like you kind of just laid out, are like, wait, this guy was involved with, you know, really the garbage offense that the Titans put out there for most of the season last year. But here's the analogy that I've kind of been giving. If anybody, you know, a lot of people may be driving listening to this. Have you ever gotten to someone else's car that you don't drive a lot? 
the seat isn't in the right place. You don't have a good line of sight in the mirrors. You're not quite sure where the buttons are compared to where you normally drive. And uh, the brakes may be a little touchy or they maybe give a little bit too much. And it can be a little uncomfortable at first. I would say that, uh, you know, judging Tim Kelly by him riding in the passenger seat of Todd Downing's car would not be the right way to do it. And uh, one thing that I will say here is if you look to Tim Kelly's resume, he was calling plays in 2020 in Houston. Deshaun Watson had his best season as a pro during that year, and the Texans were a top-five passing offense during that season. In 2021, when it was Tim Kelly without Bill O'Brien involved and Tim Kelly was running his system, the Texans had the worst roster in the NFL. So judging it you know, based on team success isn't the right route. But Davis Mills, you look at Davis Mills, there were some people coming out of 2021 saying, Davis Mills was the best rookie quarterback in that season. Now, obviously, we know that Trevor Lawrence had terrible coaching, and he was obviously the most talented of that group. But it is true, Davis Mills had one of the more productive rookie seasons, maybe the most productive rookie season in 2021, and he took a massive drop-off in 2022 when Tim Kelly left Houston and went to the Titans. His passer rating dropped by 10 points. His completion percentage dropped by 5 points. He went from 16 touchdowns and 10 interceptions to 17 touchdowns and 15 interceptions tied for the league lead in the regular season. So there are some obvious things that point to Tim Kelly being a solid play caller. And what I would say is, according to Mike Vrabel in his press conference after the promotion of Tim Kelly, Tim Kelly's biggest areas of focus were first and second down passing and then red zone. The Titans were a top six red zone team last year, and they were above average when it comes to passing efficiency on first and second down. It was third down passing where the Titans really got into issues. And uh, based on what Mike Vrabel said, Tim Kelly's roles were, those were some of the best aspects of the Titans offense. So I think while there is some natural trepidation and, and it is logical to say, wait, why would you want to promote somebody who was involved with that last year? I think judging Tim Kelly um, completely based on what Todd Downing's offense did, why Tim Kelly was just an assistant w- wouldn't necessarily be the, the right way to judge it either. So I think there's reason for optimism for Titans fans, but there's also a fair amount of concern as well. Final moments, Tyler Rowland, Locked on Titans podcast here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Tyler, whether it's fair or not, and I don't happen to necessarily believe this, but the narrative is the Jaguars' window is coming wide open where Mm -hmm. the Titans' window of opportunity might be on the way down. Is that how it's viewed in Nashville, or do they still believe that, that Tennessee is one of the contenders in the AFC? Well, I think that's fair. I, I don't think that any logical Titans fan could could argue, at least the Jacksonville side of it. You have a, a young quarterback who is ascending. There's a lot of great pieces on the roster and a lot of talent there. Good NFL coaching, which obviously we saw how big that impact is in Jacksonville from last year to this season. So I don't think that you could argue that Jacksonville's ability to contend in that window is opening right now. But I think on the Tennessee side, there's, you know, diverting opinions as to where the Titans are. Some people think it's a full rebuild. They need to tear it down and and try to get ready for the next window. And then some people like Rand Carthon, the guy who's hired as general manager, thinks that this team can retool on the fly and be back to contention. The reality is Jacksonville is a good team. 
and they're going to be a good team for a while. But the AFC South as a division is not a juggernaut where it would be impossible for the Titans to flip things around pretty quickly, make some improvements to the roster, and, and get back in contention. Super Bowl contention, that's a different conversation. But playoff contention, I think the Titans are a few roster moves away from getting right back there. The reality is the, the Titans' previous general manager, John Robinson, did some great things, but trading A.J. Brown, the draft bust in the first round of Isaiah Wilson in 2020 and Caleb Farley in 2021, signing Bud Dupree, restructuring Ryan Tannehill's contract to bring on Julio Jones. Those moves right there just absolutely crippled the Titans roster and their depth last year. It may take more than one offseason to totally repair that, but if Rand Carthon hits on a lot of his moves, I don't think it's illogical to think that the Titans could be right back at the top of the division or at least competing with Jacksonville and then battling it out next year for the division crown again. I don't think the Titans are getting ready to – just go into the dumps or anything like that with Jeffrey Simmons. You still have Derrick Henry. There are some solid pieces on both sides of the ball that with a couple of easy fixes, or maybe not easy, but a couple of quick fixes this offseason to the offensive line, to the wide receiver group, I think the Titans could be right back to being that team that they had been the last three years in 2021, 2020, and 2019, where they're able to get you know the AFC South crown. But it's going to be a lot more difficult uh, than it had been in those years with Jacksonville now, as I agree, opening that window of contention with Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson. Tyler, final question. Ryan Tannehill, is he the quarterback when the Titans report back to OTAs, or are they going to do something outside the organization to bring in another quarterback? I think there's only two paths here. Ryan Tannehill is back as the quarterback in 2023, or the Titans, as we've heard a little bit of rumors about in recent weeks, trade up to number one to get their quarterback of the future, or let's say trade up within the top five to get their quarterback of the future. If the Titans do make that sort of move and trade up to get a quarterback, then you have to let Ryan Tannehill go because you could save $18 million on the salary cap by releasing Ryan Tannehill. So I think that would be the easy move. And if they designate Tannehill as a post for uh, post June 1st cut, they say 20 million on the or 27 million on the cap. So that would be a smart move. If they do decide to make a trade up for Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Levis, if Rand Carton and Mike Vrabel decide, Hey, we want our guy of the future while the Colts are probably getting a quarterback while the Texans are probably getting a quarterback, obviously Trevor Lawrence and Jacksonville. So if Rand Carthon and Mike Vrabel say, Hey, we're going to go up, make a big move and get our quarterback of the future. Then you cut Ryan Tannehill and you move forward. But in my opinion, those rumors about the Titans moving up, that's more about driving up the price of a trade up for the Colts and for the Texans. It's more mind games and trying to manipulate the market by Rand Carthon then I believe it's actual interest in trading up that high to get a quarterback. So if they don't do that, which is my expectation, then I think that Ryan Tannehill will be back as the quarterback for the Titans. Um, there just aren't any valid options outside of the organization. Derek Carr, that's a lateral move. Jimmy Garoppolo, that's a lateral move. I don't think that really moves the needle whatsoever. And you may cost yourself more money by signing one of those guys than you would just keeping Ryan Tannehill. And, uh, you know, with Tom Brady's retirement, there were some conversations about would Mike Vrabel bring over his buddy Tom Brady for a cheap deal. That's obviously not happened with his retirement. So um, I think a trade for a young quarterback like a Trey Lance or a Jordan Love or anything, I don't think that's going to happen either because then you sacrifice 
you know, half of the time you get on that rookie contract, which as Jacksonville seeing right now is the biggest cheat code in the NFL is an elite quarterback on a rookie contract. You don't get the full benefit of that. If you trade for a young guy like Trey Lance or Jordan Love and, and you sacrifice picks to do that and, so I just don't think that those are logical routes. So to me, it's either a trade up to get the quarterback of the future early in the draft in the top five, and then you cut Ryan Tannehill to save the money. Or what I think will happen is, yes, Ryan Tannehill will be the Titans quarterback in 2023. And I think with a better offensive line and maybe an addition or two at wide receiver, Ryan Tannehill can be the caretaker that, that you need. Look at San Francisco. That's where Rand Carthon came from. I keep saying the Titans should want to be San Francisco when they grow up, have a Jimmy Garoppolo, have a Brock Purdy, a caretaker with a great roster of talent around it. That's the model for the Titans right now, and I think Tannehill could still deliver uh, a playoff appearance and a division win if you make the roster around him better than it was last year. Yeah, it'll certainly be an interesting offseason there mm -hmm. in Nashville, and that's a fascinating thought, the Titans moving up. I mean, I would have to think that would cost him a first this year, maybe a second this year, their first next year, among other things. Five picks, I think, total would, would, would have to be. You're right, the second, the first this year, a first next year. But the thing is, if you save $27 million on Ryan Tannehill and you get that rookie quarterback, that against losing the draft picks, it, it may be a logical trade-off they're willing to make. I, I don't think that happens personally, but yeah, it, it would be interesting to see if they did. Tyler Rowland, Locked on Titans podcast. Tyler, a lot of Jaguar fans obviously like to keep track of their division rivals. Where can people here in Jacksonville see your work if they're interested in what's going on there with Tennessee? Well, as you mentioned, Locked on Titans podcast. That's free and available on all platforms, including the Locked on Titans YouTube channel. I record and put out a show Monday through Friday all year long. Um, and oftentimes I'll do a sick show because as you guys and your audience can probably tell, I do love to yuck it up about the Titans. Uh, I also do write for the All Titans Sports Illustrated website, so you can check out any of my work there. And do want to give a shout-out to uh, Tony Wiggins, our Locked On Jaguars host uh, down there in Duval County as well. But, yeah, Locked On Titans podcast on all platforms, All Titans Sports Illustrated site for the writing. That's right. We know Tony very well here on 1010XL. Hey, Tyler, always appreciate the time, man. Thank you very much. This is one of our first conversations, brother. It won't be the last. We'll talk mm -hmm. soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And thank you to Tyler Rowland of the Locked on Titans podcast for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Yeah, it's been a very interesting 33 days since Tennessee lost the AFC South championship game here in Jacksonville. They fired a lot of their offensive coaching staff. Ironically enough, one of the offensive coaches they did not fire has now been promoted to offensive coordinator. And, oh, by the way, as we talked about, former Florida Gator Rand Carthon is now the brand-new general manager of the Tennessee Titans. Carthon and Vrabel have never worked together, head coach Mike Vrabel and general manager Rand Carthon. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it does not work out it'll be interesting to see but you look at the AFC South as a whole right now boy it looks like Jacksonville's division I mean as we sit here on, on what is this the ninth day of February February 9th man Indianapolis still does not have a head coach which is fascinating Houston does but they are in complete rebuild mode more than likely both the Colts and the Texans 
are going to draft quarterbacks very high in the April draft. And the Tennessee Titans, new general manager, new offensive coordinator, a uh, guy at quarterback that's nothing more at this point in Ryan Tannehill than slightly above average, maybe. And who knows if he'll even be the quarterback on opening day in 2023. And then you got the Jaguars, who obviously had a great year. They got Trevor Lawrence, and the arrow is pointing way, way up. So there is no doubt that the Jaguars are going to be the overwhelming favorite, and should be. They should be the overwhelming favorite in that division coming in to the 2023 season. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight. We got a lot of people to thank. Again, Tyler Rowland of the Locked On Titans podcast there in Nashville. Thank you to my man Zig Fercasi, Sirius XM, NFL Radio, always love. Talking ball with Zig, previewing Super Bowl 57 and getting his final thoughts on the Jaguar season that was in 2022. And Shane Hallam of DraftCountdown.com. It's that time of year. We're talking draft. The Jaguars have a pick in the mid-20s. You guys know that I love DraftCountdown.com. Shane does a seven-round mock draft, <coughs> excuse me, I believe every two weeks. So if you're in to mock drafts like I am, Draft Countdown is a very valuable resource for you. Not the biggest Anthony Richardson fan either, Shane Hallam. Thought it was interesting his thoughts on the former Florida Gator quarterback. If you missed that, go to 1010XL.com and click on the on-demand section. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Friday to close out the week, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green and Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then... Good night, Jacksonville.